just get uh, all the codes that I need because YouTube is such a bitch, man. Yeah, I know. All right. And should I call you Benjamin Dictor, BJ Dictor? What do you want to get? Either or. I mean, Benjamin's my name. BJ fits easier in social media yeah. and how lots of people know me as, so I don't really care. Yeah, and and your, all your links are below. And it is pronounced Dictor. I never even made sure I got yeah. it. Yeah. When your family came to Canada from Europe or whatever, long ago, yeah. what, did, did they settle in Toronto or what, where did they pick? Where did they... Um, they settled, well, so... Well, why did they go to New York? What was the, I, I guess... <laughs> well, actually, actually my, my grandfather went through New York, okay. uh, couldn't get something there, had um, my grandmother's family was already here. In a place, I always forget the name of the town. It's a small town in uh, Saskatchewan, so in Western Jesus. Canada. And the reason he left was he wasn't even worried about the Nazis. He had no idea what the Nazis were. He was worried about the communists. Of course. Right? Of course. Of course. So, yeah. Yeah, mine all left earlier than that. Around uh, when, the, when the Russians in 1905 decided to let the Jews leave after killing so many the pogroms. That's yeah. when most of the Ashkenazi came here. Yeah. And that's when mine. That's when mine did. I don't know why mine ended up in Baltimore. I think they sent all of, like the wretched, uh, lowest of the low. <laughs> We're the craziest motherfuckers there are. And fuck New York. Fuck them all. All right, those ghetto ass ones out there. I don't know. What, still don't know the reasoning behind the whole thing. Um, all right, <laughs> that's just what those jokes have. Maybe we won't be talking about that at all. Um, all right, let me. Uh, Okay, let's do start live stream. Now, shh, I do this. Starting live stream. Live streaming is on. Live streaming is on. Okay. No, shh. Hello, everyone. This is Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to the one. Oh, today is December the 22nd. 
trigonometry all the time. A real awesome show. I'm sure all of you are geniuses out there. Watch it all the darn time like I do. But um, he was on there talking about the trucker protests. I think back in September he was uh, talking about. This is one of the guys, main dudes, behind the Canadian trucker protests. So when everybody says, you know, use give, send, go, use this third party one, it's better than this third party fundraising thing. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like that you only need Bitcoin to fund your thing, you fund your uh, protest movement because you're a first world Canadian government. They're going to shut down all your other accounts, all the other all the companies out there that are fundraising platforms. They will all give in to all the companies. And I really love this dude, BJ Benjamin Dictor, baby. I loved him when he appeared on the show. I tried to contact him immediately because I, uh, you know, uh, but it, it was it was a little difficult through some uh, you know some technical issues with Twitter and all that stuff. And what, but we were on the same Twitter spaces soon after, and we hit it off greatly. We hung out in Las Vegas just now at like, a couple of what Tone Vases event. Oh my God! A, a great event, unconfiscatable. All the Salt Lake City heads showed up. By the way, this is an awesome Salt Lake City Bitcoin hat. Uh, you know, contact Cody about this, and everybody in Salt Lake City uh, come to the uh, the meetups that we have every month here. This is just the coolest hat, and I really actually need this hat. So, uh, Benjamin, welcome to the show. You're going to give us the inside information. On what's re- what really happened uh, uh, with the trucker protest, how it was really intertwined with Bitcoin. But guys, you short-term attention span people out there, all right? You, I'm going to tell you what else we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about El Salvador and Bitcoin and pedestaling people in the Bitcoin community like they're freaking gods. Hashem forbid that we put anybody on such a pedestal to make them seem out to be a god. But in this secular world that we live in today, there's a lot of Bitcoiners that like authoritarianism, like to worship these people, and then they get disappointed, whether it be uh, Bukake down in El Salvador, or it be Max Kaiser out in Iran. All these people are just loved beyond belief, like they are the kings of Bitcoin. They should be believed. Everything they say is right. It's 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 a little disturbing. So, but we're, but there is some really strange news out of El Salvador that's been covered by Spanish-speaking media. Um, that Benjamin knows about, and I actually tweeted it, and I, I copied the, uh, the the main uh, media players in the the Bitcoin world about this story in El Salvador, and they didn't cover it. But we're going to talk about it. There's some just really just weird stuff down there. But to, before Benjamin says any words, I'm going to read you a headline here that's going to just start this show off the right way. It is from the Guardian. You know, the Guardian's British mainstream, we, we got to believe what, the, you know, mainstream media, <laughs> they're always right, right? Eight of 2023's most spectacular downfalls. Uh, um, and it includes uh, Marvel, Crypto, Tucker Carlson. Uh, what else does it, uh, so some other thing, Twitter? And things that you're like, wait a second, crypto downfall? They mean Bitcoin, Okay. And so they say, uh, at eight of 2023's, uh, okay, we said that, this year has been crushing for crypto. It may never recover from the dramatic denouncement of its poster boy. Is poster boy SBF. (laughs) Oh my God. So, and also the metaverse is never gonna recover. Let me tell you something. This mainstream media nonsense, it is going to age horribly. 
Bitcoin has had a spectacular downfall. It's not going to uh, recover because of its poster boy, SBF. <laughs> I mean, but guess what? All the normies out there are only going to re- remember this headline. So tell us, Benjamin, what does what the uh, Guardian have to say about uh, the truckers' protest? What do the mainstream media had to say about the truckers' protest and what most people are going to remember it by? And what was really going on? Take it away, baby. Well, to be entirely honest, I'm not sure what they were saying, the Guardian specifically during the trucking convoy, because I banned the legacy media from all our press conferences and did everything I could to uh, to freeze them out, uh, which seemed to frustrate a lot of people on the inside that had political ties. And the same people, it was really odd, the same people who would complain to me all the time that the legacy media is all fake. I'm like, yeah, okay, we know it's all fake. But then they would chase after them for interviews. I'm like, no, 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 that's not how it works. They're fake. Put them in the little corner and ignore them. And that's what I did. And I, I, I banned them from all our press conferences. And it was very funny. I mentioned this a number of times in different interviews. I was doing a podcast interview with the Post Millennial. And uh, Angelo said to me, just as we were setting up, he said, the part that they found most entertaining was because you banned them from the press conferences was watching the legacy media log on to the post-millennial feed because that's the only place they could get coverage of the press conferences. And I'm like, that's exactly what I wanted to do. It was perfect. You know, give the little guys in alternative media, the independent guys, the opportunity to shine and show the world we don't need fake news, fake corporate news. And I think I proved that case. Well, I, you sense you stay you, you stay with your principles there. You didn't uh, you didn't believe in the mainstream media. You didn't go begging for them. You you got rid of them. Pound that freaking like button, everybody, for standing by your your principles. Now, but let's forget about the Guardian, but other mainstream outlets out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are actually still involved with the. I mean, the Canadian government is still bothering you about this situation. There's there's legal matters going on and whatnot. We can get into that. But they tried to paint <laughs> it painted out as a, as a far rightist movement, as a neo Nazi movement almost. <laughs> Not some they showed a Nazi flag that one freakazoid had out there. I mean, you're gonna have freakazoids at any event. I mean, but I mean, they uh, they they play they show the worst of the worst. Uh, they don't talk about your background. Obviously, <laughs> your background does not mesh very well with. Uh, the, the 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 neo Nazi right or left or, or or whatever whatever it's it's become over there. So tell us a little bit about about your background, but really, uh, what people uh, what many people ended up taking away from the conference when they really should have been taking away like uh, the government is overreaching and they can close down my my bank accounts and I need to get on Bitcoin, but rather they they, they may have uh, got caught up in some cultural distractions there. Most of the normies, unfortunately. Yeah, it's interesting. Maybe six months ago, eight months ago, Douglas Murray was on stage in a debate uh, with some people from Legacy Media at the Monk debates. And he said uh, all the coverage in the Legacy Media tried to uh, convince people that this was a far right neo-Nazi movement, despite uh, one of the organizers being Jewish. That was me. Um, I also had, you know, every Sunday I would go to Parliament Hill. We had a stage there. And despite the fact that I broke my ankle right in the middle of all of this and had surgery, I still got on crutches, hopped in the snow and ice for 45 minutes to get to the stage to thank everybody for coming out for freedom and sticking to your principles. 
And the crowd that was on every week, every Sunday, that was to the left of the stage, that was the Lubavitch Synagogue and from Ottawa. And the rabbi was hanging around the hotel, kept wanting to get me to put on tefillin and stuff like that. And I was just, you know, things were crazy. But that was the take from the legacy media. Uh, the people who are obsessed with identitarianism and race and religion. And honestly, I don't like to talk about it. I just, I come back from that age where, you know, you keep your religion and your, your identity to yourself and that's your private life. But because of those stupid smears that people uh, in the normie world would buy into, unfortunately, I had to come out and say, well, that's a little bit of a, that's a complicated matter because I, I don't know many neo-Nazi Jews myself. And I know I'm not, I, I didn't learn much about neo-Nazism in, in those uh, 14 years of Hebrew school, but, you know, maybe I missed a few lessons. Yes, yes, perhaps. <laughs> you know, it would have been nice, yeah, that, that is quite a story. I, I obviously, uh, I love the Lubavitch. I love the <laughs> I mean, so these were guys that were standing there, but they, they so they, they, and they were saying, okay, you know, put on, put on your tefillin, put on your tefillin, but what, what is the, what is the media show? They don't show this. They don't, they, they, they show that. It's un unbelievable how, how divisive, uh, they, they, they want to, they, they can make things. That, well, that's kind of cool. And, and to add, and, right there. It's and to add to that, you know, they engage in this narrative poisoning. They're just going to create a narrative and try to brainwash people to accept the first thing they hear, right? That's their strategy. And I remember the day that I arrived, I was at the, the stage, and there's already people that formed. There's already a big crowd. And I saw a woman. You know, you kept hearing about not swastikas and the Nazi flag. Swastikas everywhere. I saw a woman with a yellow sign that had a swastika on it. So I went up to her. And I said, uh, hey, you know, knowing that messaging will be mischaracterized, I'm like, tell me about your sign. And she says, oh, this is because the, the, she looks, it wasn't a really well-made sign, but she says, it's the, you know, the swastika equals the yellow star because Justin Trudeau is treating us exactly how the, they treated my people in Germany in the 1930s, she says, because I'm a religious Jew, and I see where this is going. We've seen this before. So, ergo, the legacy media <laughs> interprets that as a bunch of Nazis are hanging out on Parliament Hill. It's crazy. It's, it's tyranny. Yeah. And it seems like the mainstream media likes to go the direction of tyranny. But guess what? There's some people in the alt-media alt <laughs> also that, as I was saying at the beginning, that seem to want tyrannical leaders. Uh, we, we will talk about that later. You mentioned the monk debates. I actually recommend everybody watch the monk debate that had Matt Taibbi in it. Yeah. And I forgot he, he was a man. The guy he was uh, debating, it was, it was embarrassing. He destroyed him. Uh, yeah. Look up Matt Taibbi, a monk debate. You'll see what I'm talking about. I don't, I can't remember all the names now. So it's a little abstract to everyone out there, but uh, the, the, those, they can be pretty good. Because I know all these people love debates. I'm not the biggest fan of debates in the world. I mean, get played out after a while obviously so when did the uh when did the canadian government uh, start shutting down your bank accounts oh uh, well the yeah and this is where everybody gets upset with me because i stick to my principles and uh you know i made the mistake of getting into politics many years I, years ago i thought i could make a difference and i ended up running for the conservatives and uh, a mistake i will never be able to, to undo but whatever because i learned how corrupt it is right and um, it was interesting that you see here in the the legacy media has one interpretation, but then there's the alternative media, 
that, oh, Trudeau froze all our bank accounts. Bank accounts. Yeah, that's half the story. Before the EMA, which is Canada's equivalent of martial law, that's when they started freezing our, our personal bank accounts. The provincial conservatives invoked the EMA two days before, and they're the ones that sought the injunction against Give, Send, Go to ensure none of the donation money came to us. So when you see people who are attacking me online, it's because they're engaged in political team play. I don't do that. They're both corrupt. They both work together. The, in evidence, in the commission from the from after the, the convoy that investigated it, we have direct email evidence from the leader of the conservatives and Justin Trudeau saying, I agree, we need to put an end to the protest. Yet they come out, no, we were supportive of the truckers. Rebel News comes out, look, they supported the truckers. No, they all screwed us. And then our personal bank accounts, that was after February 14th, Valentine's Day. <laughs> it was when they invoked martial law for a bunch of trucks that were violating a city bylaw by parking. And uh, it was a couple of days after that that they started freezing our personal bank accounts. And it's not just bank accounts. Many of you heard me say this before. Bank accounts, credit cards, lines of credit, corporate accounts, anything that has your name to it was frozen or wiped out as though it didn't exist. So that's, uh, guys, Bitcoin fans. It can, if it mm. happened in Canada, it can happen basically anywhere. Uh, when have you gotten into Bitcoin uh, before this? Did you have an interest? And by the way, everybody, this is live, so you can ask us questions. Uh, I started in – it got on my radar – in 2015, okay, I heard about it first in 2012, 2013. I just heard the name and it's money on the internet. And I wish I would have listened to the person who told me about it. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. But I was busy. I had a business I was running and I didn't have the time to it. And then it came up again in 2015. Um, and I remember I just out of curiosity because like I've, I've had a computer since I was three years old. So I'm a computer guy. And for whatever reason, I decided, hey, let's find out what this blockchain stuff is really, you know. So I started over time, over a few months, started watching videos and reading articles. What is it? And before that, when I was a teenager, I remember I was I watched this documentary that I posted a few times. I posted it to Larry Lepard um, by Bill Still on uh, central banking called The Money Changers, The Money Masters. I remember binge watching that and James Burke's uh, series or a couple of his episodes on money when I was in my late teens. So I was, always pr I was already primed for it. I always, always believed that, okay, our money's garbage. Like this is, this is nonsense. So around that time when I started in 2015, when I started starting watching these videos about blockchain, I'm like, oh, wait, this might actually solve the problem of central banking. But you know, you're not sophisticated. You take time. Other things in life. So it took me about a year, year and a half till I learned enough that I could, okay, maybe I should buy a little bit. I'll get 50 bucks here. I'll try and whatever. Uh, so it was, a, it, was a, it was a journey. It wasn't like one day eureka moment. Oh, I read an article about Bitcoin and I get it. No, it took me a good year and a year and a half. And that's when I orange pill new people. They always tell me the same thing. Oh, I don't understand it. It's intimidating. And I tell them it was for me too. And even once I technologically understood it, I didn't philosophically 
except that it actually solves the problems it's supposed to, right? And uh, so then I finally decided to buy little bits here and there, and that's how I got into it. And, but, and when you started, your, the bank accounts and everything started to be closed down. Uh, did you jump onto Bitcoin right away? Did you say, okay, now we need to, we still, do we need, we need Bitcoin now? Or did someone whisper in your ear? What exactly happened? And, oh, you know, on the ground when, when this tragedy of your uh, bank accounts started? No, so prior to the EMA, um, Caribou came to me with a bunch of other Bitcoiners. He actually reached out to me on Twitter, sent me a message and said, you know, they, they I guess they saw me on an interview somewhere. They found me on Twitter and they saw hashtag Bitcoin. I'm like, wait, the guy's a Bitcoiner? So they start, he started sending me messages online, uh, DMs, and I guess he was uh, testing me. So I explained, yeah, I use this wallet. I don't, I don't have a node. I don't have a miner. But I understand, at that time, I didn't have a node and stuff like that. And uh, I guess he realized that, oh, he actually is a Bitcoiner. Because I told him different, you know, how I got into it in more detail. Uh, he showed up the next day with, uh, I don't know, 12 of them, 15 of them, something like that. Saying, yeah, we're raising money for you guys in Bitcoin just in case something happens. Because we saw what was going on with the GoFundMe. And I said, okay, well, I'll take care of the boomers on the board. Go ahead. And uh, I, I got your back. You got my back. We know what Bitcoin is. These people don't understand. I'll try to orange pill them best I can. And that's how we got it. But I found out after the fact, about a year after that, there was a Bitcoiner that was in a Twitter space. I think he uses the handle Moses, if I'm not mistaken. And I didn't know this. He gets on stage and he says, you know, I'm really frustrated with the, the Freedom Convoy people. I'm like, well, me too, but maybe for different reasons. Why? He said, because I spoke to somebody named Tamara and some guy in the uh, Chris or something. And I told them about Bitcoin. And I'm like, when? He said, when they were going to Ottawa before they got there. I'm like, oh, OK. And what happened? He said, I told them this is your, your accounts will be frozen this is what Bitcoin is. We're going to raise Bitcoin for you. And apparently Tamara's response was, I don't need video game money. I need real money. And I'm like, oh. And then when we arrived in Ottawa, in Ottawa and I met Caribou and I told them, yeah, there's Bitcoiners raising money for us. Do you think anybody said that? Oh, we had a phone call with them already? No, no, nobody said that. Their response was, oh, it's for a criminal activity. So it's like de it's like dealing with geriatrics at Baycrest, trying you know like no. It's so I tried my best to explain to them what it is. Some of them were confused, the others weren't listening, and I told the Bitcoiners, I'm like, guys, we just got to stick together and uh, just give them time. I'll keep trying to work on them over time, and that was it. Now the uh, the the use case that you showed, I mean, this was the ultimate example to this point in history. Of, of a use case for Bitcoin in terms of uh, censorable, censoring uh, financial transactions. The Canadian government tried to censor financial transactions. You guys found a way around it. Since this has happened, and again, I, I really commend you on the trigonometry uh, appearance. Thanks, you should have convinced those guys to become Bitcoin fans. You've been on non-Bitcoin shows. Have, have you been on a lot of Bitcoin shows? I mean, you should be on every single big Bitcoin show. Peter, uh, the British uh, mask wearer, the vax taker, he should have you on his show. He's a big uh, normie guy, isn't he? You know? <laughs> He's a pretty man. You should be on his show. Uh, I mean, there's all, all these uh, guys. You should be on all. They, they should have you. 
I mean, have you been on some big Bitcoin shows? I mean, I've been on with um, BTC Sessions. And oh, he's, yeah, yeah, he's a great man. A great. He was part of the, the movement. I mean, that's that right. My only connection to that. I just wanted to throw that out there. I love him. Love Benjamin. Yeah, so Ben's great. I've been on Simply Bitcoin a couple of times. See, I've done a bunch of them, but um, never was on what Bitcoin did. But I have. Well, that, what, I, what I'm trying to say is there's some normie ones out there. You know, so the yeah. guys who take the, the vaccine and everything like that, and, or, or, or communists yeah. or whatever they might decide. That's just wrong. It's not communist, but uh, lean leftward. And there's nothing wrong with leaning leftward, I guess. Yeah. Um, but but there, there's some big name ones that got the hundreds of thousands of guys that just worship them and stuff. And they, I, you're. You are very open to being on shows. I mean, you are a, a very friendly, hospitable dude. Uh, I, and you were the guy behind the ultimate use case so far in Bitcoin. I just can't believe, um, you know, we live in a very connected world, people. Take advantage of it. Get this dude on your show if you're watching this. Anyone, please. Yeah. Um, well, I'll ju- I mean, just to give you a little kernel, I have spoken to Peter. Um, directly a number of times, and uh, we are going to be meeting in January. And I'm not going on a show, but it might be something a little different. So, okay, well, he's going to take you to Africa to feel bad for all the kids <laughs> that he wants to give Bitcoin to. He thinks hey, that's what he thinks Bitcoin's for. Oh, this is going to save Africa. I got to go to Africa. I went to Africa in 2016. I told them all to buy Bitcoin. I mean, it's not like they didn't know. Hey, all right, so uh, let's go back. But this is this, this isn't over yet. This is why you should be on shows. You've got legal issues with the Canadian government. What's going on with that? Well, we have been subjected to a uh, a lawfare suit by people who are connected to the Trudeau Liberals. Uh, five, if I remember, five small businesses uh, that were closed for two years. Didn't seem to mind that. Um, they decided to close during the two weeks of the Freedom Convoy when the mayor of the city invoked a penalty if any business is opened. And um, as a result, they f- now feel that we owe them $450 million. <laughs> right? Sounds reasonable. One guy's a waiter. <laughs> a fucking waiter. Yeah, so I, I, and you're such a calm dude. If I had a $450 million lawsuit hanging over my head, um, well, I'm not a calm dude, so I don't know what I – it would be bad. It, it would be uh, – God forbid. I'm, I'm going to um, give you the best life advice I ever had, and I use, this helped me all through the convoy. This is why it didn't bother me, and I was calming people all the time. And that is this axiom. It's a Buddhist proverb, and that is true suffering is the attempt to control the uncontrollable. Mm-hmm. I can't control people doing stupid things. All I can do is try to adapt my life around it. This is uh, this is very uh, words of words of wisdom that you bring from your uh, extensive uh, philosophical studies, no doubt. <laughs> um, but guys, this dude is still dealing with stuff. This is a Bitcoiner. I got. We should really be on social media instead of worrying about people wiping their tosses in El Salvador. We should be worrying about this, you know, promoting this. Like the Canadian government is is. Is involved in lawfare against this man it through a proxy. Through a proxy, and by the way, Caribou is my co-defendant. Yeah, there you go, a big Bitcoiner. And I was going to get. I never got him on the show. We we went back and forth, and I don't do that many shows anymore, as most people know. And if you want more shows, people send some super chats this way. That uh, that get. We had a show earlier this week. It was awesome. I went on many rants. It's linked below. <laughs> disruptmeister.com people follow me on twitter at techball t-e-c-h-b-a-l-t 
Benjamin, all his links are below, by the way. He's great on Twitter. I retweet him all the time. And don't forget this. The first normie book, honkingforfreedom.com, the first normie book that has two chapters that tells the story of Bitcoin, which is why I did this. I did this, and it's, it is, um, how do we describe it? It is uh, digestible to liberals. So whether you're on the left side or the right side, that's not relevant. Uh, it's all the positive stories. It's all the good things that came from us unifying and coming together and finding each other, which is something I see a lot of in Bitcoin, which is why I want to talk honestly about stuff because I don't want to see this sort of you know political divide we see in all other aspects of the world start to enter into Bitcoin. And I'm starting to see the signs of it right now. And I want to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, and that's why I shouldn't call people communists that aren't communists. No, 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 you can't. Uh, Bitcoin no, 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 people, no, 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 we like some spice. <laughs> it's fine. You all get carried away. I get carried away sometimes. You're, you're running, you're, you're but they them. can respond because we're all free speech advocates, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. And, and so you, you've, you've got a very good segue here. We're going to leave the, the great white north. <laughs> and, uh, and which, by the way, and we'll talk about Malay at the very end in Argentina. Um, Argentina could very become uh, better than Canada really fast if he gets if he gets away with everything down there, and uh, I hope he does. Uh, but let's let's before we go all the way down south, let's go to Central America, El Salvador. Uh, there's a guy named Alejandro that most people haven't heard of. They've they've heard of Bukake, the president, um, but uh, and they've heard of uh, Max Kaiser, the dictator of Iran and El Salvador, whatever he is. <laughs> Um, you know, no Ethereum! hey go, you know, Ethereum or death, if Ethereum comes right away, Max coin, <laughs> Anyway, so, um, yeah, there's Alejandro, uh, was a, a big fan of, uh, Bukake, the president, and now he's been attacked and seriously injured. Uh, what's going on with that, man? That's a little weird. Well, That's it's... Banana Republic sounding. What's, what's going on? It's, uh, it's worse than that. And uh, so Alejandro, he's the Bitcoiner. Bukele's not the Bitcoiner. Alejandro's the Bitcoiner. And if you watch any of his interviews, he talks about setting up his first S9 miners and that he didn't have enough power flow. And he understands, he understands it more technically than I do. Like I spoke to him a, a number of times. The guy really knows his stuff because he's, I don't know, he's uh, a computer guy to the extreme. I guess he's a programmer to a point. And he's done a lot for that country. He's taken down a couple of previous governments that were very corrupt, was on the run as a result. And then Alaha, uh, uh, Bukele and him found each other. And it was the two of them together for 10 years that built Bukele's career. And over years of him trying to advocate Bukele that, you know, Bitcoin should be something that we adopt here. And over time, he eventually convinced uh, Bukele to um, to bring to have a pro Bitcoin perspective. Uh, it's but what's really concerning right now is he's in jail. Why is he in jail? What happened? He was appointed after those ten years when um, Bukele was elected. He was appointed to the National Security Advisor, who's his right hand man. Like when Bukele talks about starting his political career. What he forgets to mention, it was like Fred and Barney Rubble. It was him and Alejandro together that did that. And all of a sudden, he throws him under the bus. I remember the first claims I heard about it from somebody. They said to me, I remember, I was in politics for several years. I know how political parties work and messaging works and all that sort of stuff in the structure. 
And I remember somebody saying to me that, oh, yeah, he's been uh, brought up on charges, Alejandro, because he was conspiring with or leaking inter information to the opposition party. Okay, like happens in every country, in every political party ever. That's why people take time off to go spend time with their family. They get fired if you work with the other political party. You don't get thrown in jail and incarcerated without a bail hearing, without representation. Like, what the hell is going on? So um, there is a lot more there. As there's lots of people looking into it. I had a, a former journalist uh, from Mexico who I know, who I'm very close with, uh, do a deep dive into this and look through all the articles and try to figure out, make heads or tails of what's going on with Alejandro. And she says to me, this is ridiculous. This is the type of stuff we would see with Salinas in Mexico. Uh, so clearly he has stumbled, Alejandro stumbled across something that made his former, I don't know, best friend or close adversary, uh, sorry, close advisor, um, made him very uncomfortable. And the response was, okay, just trumped up charges and throw him in jail. What the fuck is that? Wasn't he attacked physically also? Wasn't he beaten? There was a shooting. He was shot uh, because they were – a few things – listen, it's Latin America, right? But they were ambushed and uh, he was shot. And, um, I mean, it gets quite complicated and uh, murky. But that was before – um, the gangs were arrested. Like El, El Salvador has become a very different country in a very short period of time. And, you know, I'm not – I was in El Salvador at the last uh, Adopting Bitcoin conference. So I got a little lay of the land. But I lived for many <laughs> – going back from forth for 20 years to Colombia. And I lived there for a while. Like I'm not new to Latin American cultures. I've been all over Mexico. I almost married somebody. Uh, who was Mexican uh, many, many years ago. So uh, I'm not new to the culture and, and don't understand how it works and the differences between North America and Latin America, and they are stark differences. And El Salvador has very quickly turned into when I moved to Colombia. Uh, it's become like Colombia in 2003 when Uribe was in power, and all of a sudden it became very safe very quickly. So there's a lot of good positives. But... This just does everything for me. This just shows, okay, same corruption, different mask. And uh, I'm very, very concerned and disappointed, quite frankly, from the Trust But Verify group that are behaving like what we, we describe in political parties. They refer to, this is how cynical they are. They refer to the political base as the sheeple. They all do that. That's our base. We can say whatever they want because they're not going to go vote for the other side. So whatever. And when I see the trust but verify people behave the same way around this issue, that's why I start to get really concerned. And somebody has to speak out. And you know what? Since you came into that toxic happy hour um, Twitter space where we met each other, shout out to Pubby and Anders, and you brought this up, uh, I have had so many people message me, DM, privately DM me. OG Bitcoiners, influential Bitcoiners, who all agree and know this is total BS. Uh, we can't, why are people ignoring that? Everybody knows what's going on, but everybody is afraid to speak up. And I can tell you from three weeks, having all my, my accounts frozen, the government attacking me, whatever, there's nothing you can do, nothing they can do to you 
if you just stick with the truth. And I wish people would start speaking up and do that. Yeah, and I, I want to point out, you have extensive uh, experience in Latin America. You can see how these things can turn on a dime. Um, yeah. This regime in El Salvador could disappear, right? I mean, the, the coups happen, right? Like that, you know? And if they start to have, you know, like I was starting to worry about, you know, as you were uh, enlightening me some some relationships, geopolitical relationships, uh, you know, that's uh, you don't want to have a, another Noriega, but that's what might happen if they continue with some of the relationships that are going on uh, behind the scenes in El Salvador. And look, we all know the Bitcoin protocol is solid. It's proven its case. It's not going anywhere. That's wonderful until six billion people are polluted and brainwashed to th- to treat it as cocaine. Because it has some irrevocable um, political, political, but uh, narrative around it that people just get brainwashed into thinking, oh, that's just bad stuff. That's for terrorism. I mean, that's what Elizabeth Warren is trying to do. And I don't want us to give her the ammo that she needs to be successful. But it seems like that's what's going on. And I wish people would speak up and show that there are Bitcoiners who are opposed to some of this nonsense. Yeah, there, there's a certain uh, breed of Bitcoiner that hates America so much oh, that they see yeah. some guy standing up to America. He must be great no matter what his connections are, no matter how he got power, no matter how he maintains power. They're self, self-hating, mostly self-hating Americans. I mean, I, I think it's – I don't like to build anything around – Hatred and, and, and destruct. They want to see the dollar system destroyed. And they think this little small country is going to be spearheading it. And then they see the Emir, the Emir of Qatar, Zan uh, there. And they think that's awesome. Maybe he's funding it. Maybe that's all. Guys, be careful where this narrative is going. If the uh, Emir of Qatar is really involved with this at all, where is it going to all end up? Uh, you know, there's a big, big uh, place of a 4D chess here. And I'm not, I don't know what the Emir of Qatar really has to do. But people are like, oh, it's awesome. Look, he's friends with the Emir of Qatar, Qatar. You know, and uh, meanwhile, we, we know what Qatar is funding uh, otherwise. So uh, look how it could so easily be entangled uh, with Bitcoin. And again, you don't, you don't, it'll take a little while to get normies if it really spiraled downward uh, a, a few steps and uh, who knows what the Emir of Qatar is really doing there, what Max Kaiser is really doing there with you know his, his friends from Iran and everything, how this all could be twisted around or maybe it's the reality. I, I don't know what's going on. I'm just, I'm just telling people, there are people out there, Westerners are like, I'm moving to El Salvador, baby. I'm like, you're insane. <laughs> change in one, it could change it. Why are you worshiping this one country? The United States is the best freaking country on earth. To still, to this, it's so comfortable here. You don't look at the culture that was in El Salvador. What he threw in prison. Look at how scary those dudes are. That's the cult. They were created by that culture. Those tattooed men. I mean, that that's. I mean, we got some ghetto dudes here. Okay, yeah, I know. But dude, look how many those are scary dudes. That culture isn't just disappearing because they have a new dictator. Now he's done something. And when you're a dictator, you can do some things real fast, but you can also get cooed. And you also have to like try to injure your former friends 
the Bitcoin magazine, right. not Bitcoin magazine, CoinDesk, everybody should be covering that Alejandro story seriously. And then they should get to the bottom of this Qatar stuff too also. That's, that's interesting. But right in our faces is this Alejandro guy. And no one is talking about it. Um, but we're unique beasts. We're not scared to talk about it. I'm sorry. I just went on a rant there. You're about to say something. I, there's a couple of things I want to read about. The first about Alejandro and then on to uh, our little uh, jihadi friends in Qatar. Um, this, I, I translated this from Spanish to English just to make it easier to, uh, I, I, I'm not good enough to translate in real time quickly, but this is a most recent article from, um, from a publication in, uh, El Salvador called uh, La Pres, uh, sorry, La Presna Gráfica. And I can send you the link. Basically, there's a few, there's, I'm not going to read the whole thing. There's a couple things I do want to read. Um, the Javias, which is the, the legal documentation, this is about Alejandro, was filed after requesting the International Committee of the Red Cross, International Committee of the Red Cross, intervene so that they could provide meta food and medicine to Moishond, how do you pronounce his name? Moishond, I've never pronounced it right. It's, it's Dutch. Uh, since he had previously been denied denied food and medicine you know his mother after he was he was arrested in august nobody saw anything for him for two months and then his mother apparently got a package of his his uh clothes which were bloodied and they were she was told oh he had a stroke really 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 had a stroke really young guy strong like very strong as an ox can take on anything you know, he's taking out all the gangs and stuff. Oh, yeah, he just had a stroke. Really? At his age? Had a stroke? Really? Really? Okay. And then the IRC response was, um, uh, what's it called? There was no, oh, the IRC's response was that there was no official record that he had been detained. Which one is it? So he's detained or he's not detained? Like, you can see the political shenanigans going on behind the scenes. That's how this operates. And then, uh, you know, in trying to get a lawyer, Fernand Alvarez also reported that the authorities, and this happens in Canada too, I can imagine what it's like in El Salvador, that's just a fraction of the size. Uh, Fernand Alvarez uh, also reported that the authorities did not allow Mushund to have a private lawyer and that even the lawyer the family had recommended was threatened. All right, so where this is Banana Republic yeah. bullying harassment stuff. You know, this, by the way, this is a, a, an important issue. When we talk about lawfare, there's another side to the law, to lawfare, which is rampant in the United States and Canada, and apparently in El Salvador as well. And that is getting representation, that the legal communities are small, everybody knows each other, and if you're tied to a case that might be political, yeah, there might be thousands of lawyers in the country, but all of them are going to say, oh, I'm not touching that. That's political, right? And then the other, so that's with the Alejandro thing. Like I'm really, you know, so he apparently, I don't know, had a stroke and now they've done some surgery on his brain, some cronial surgery. And now he, first they, they the rumor was that he was dead and now he's apparently mentally incapacitated. Well, isn't that convenient? Isn't that convenient? That sounds like something like, I don't know, the Qataris would do, right? Uh, and I'll tell you the problem with Qatar. Like, this is from... Uh, by the way, people, again, this is a banana republic down there. You want to move there? Our 
Argentina is not, say what you will, Argentina is far from fixed. Completely different culture, so much more Western, not a banana republic. Just, there's a difference, people. North Americans, you, you don't generalize about all of Central and South America. There's a lot of diversity uh, down there. Or, go to Argentina, Uruguay, and Chile, and then try to tell me it's like Central America. Nothing, nothing with the Nothing like that. They're they're much more Western. Anyway, yeah. Uh, continue with and that was Qatar. Yeah, yeah. So Qatar is a big name that we're hearing about more and more now. They have a lot of money. They fund a lot of uh, shady things. Yeah, and you, when you tell somebody, like I, this happened when I was in the UK, uh, when the Emir of Qatar shows up in, in El Salvador, I'm like, oh, there were this is there are many many data points leading to leading to this that were causes of concern. There are many many of them. But the la- this last one with the Emir of Qatar, he showed it to some people, and I think I've mentioned to you, I also produce a podcast for some lawyers and a lot of people in politics, and I've tested it. And I've told people, the Emir of Qatar came to uh, El Salvador. And you know what the response is? Oh, so they're laundering, mon- laundering money for terrorism. Okay. Mm. Now, is that true? I don't know. But that's the automatic response. Well, that's the obvious response. That's what they're doing. Because that's what Qatar does. Who do you think launders all the money for Iran? It's Qatar, right? Guys, this is, I mean, this is, I'm not, I'm not accusing anybody of anything here, okay? No, we don't know. A worst case Bitcoin scenario. Now, I love that you use Bitcoin for anything, but how about if El Salvador just ends up being uh, the laundromat for Qatar? That's why they adopted Bitcoin. Yeah. You think Elizabeth Warren's going to let that one drop? Yeah, exactly. Um, No, no, there's going to be no one in Congress that's going to let that one drop. Everybody does it. There's, I mean, AOC likes Qatar, of course, but but I mean, uh, the majority of people of either party, uh, no, they don't like uh, funding of terrorism and use some Central American country as a a, a laundering agent. And if they're using, if, <laughs> I mean, God forbid, this is why he adopted Bitcoin. God forbid. Oh, I hope not. I really because hope not. we are all going. Everyone, all the Bitcoiners are going to look like buffoons if it ends up being that El Salvador adopted Bitcoin so they could help launder money through Qatar. I mean, again, that's a long shot type of thing. God forbid. Let's look into it at least, people. Let's not put this guy on a pedestal anymore. So this. So this can't happen. So stuff like this cannot happen. But uh, And I have one more question about this. I don't know. if Look, I have so many people that have been sending me information, right? Um, where is the Bitcoin? Right? It's transparent. It's a public ledger. We're supposed to be able to see everything. That's the whole point of it. Well, apparently it's no longer in the, the hands of the Ministry of Finance or I guess the Ministry of the Economy there. It's no longer in their position. It's in this new Bitcoin office that's five people and nothing is transparent everybody, anymore. Nobody knows where the money's going. That's the office that Stacy and Saferdine run. <laughs> like, w- w- what are they laundering money through that office and they don't want anybody to see? Like, what is going on and why will people not ask for verification for everything just like they would of the American politicians that he complain about, Right. Hold them to the same standard. You know, he was buying it on his toilet, so it's going to be a clown show the way they store it. But you've got a great point. It's supposed to be transparent. If he's supposed to be a Bitcoin country, let's see. Exactly. It's the easiest thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a a really good point. Because, again, I I think El Salvador is a joke. Um, I, I was very excited at first 
<laughs> they used it for their treasury, but then he started taking it to new levels and everything. Everybody starts worshiping. If it was just you, I mean, again, it is good that they're using it for their treasury. Yeah. Uh, I, but let's, and so I expected there'd be some, some third world shenanigans around it, but then other countries would adopt it after he adopted it. We would soon forget about El Salvador. Um, you know, there was a African, Central African Republic adopted it, but they were really corrupted also. So it, the focus is still on El Salvador. That's why I'm happy with this Argentina thing that maybe this will be the thing that, okay, we're going to stop focusing on this. And also, hold on. And, and one thing that's very important to understand how politicians operate, and that is on political capital. So they already, any politician that is mildly interested in Bitcoin is already sticking their neck out just to say the word they're taking a risk to come on board with bitcoin well what happens if you have the guitar bullshit going on in el salvador like none of them none of them are going to take the risk they're going to go in the opposite direction because they're also risk averse and they'll have no political capital to get on board with bitcoin and i know listen i understand the protocol's not going anywhere bitcoin will survive but you know what you do need you need people to use it and if people become afraid to use it, then they'll, they just won't adopt it. And that's what I'm worried about. Yeah, I mean, the, the United, you know, George Bush, had he sent an operation. The first George Bush sent the operation into Panama, which was a regime change yeah. operation. Um, it couldn't happen in El Salvador if they all of a sudden say this guy's, uh, you know, all, all he's about. To, <laughs> he could become enemy number one and stuff. And uh Send a, it wouldn't be too hard to overthrow him. I mean, they could do the, it'd be Noriega. I guess they did. When did they? Or not, whenever, the Panama thing was in 1990, 80? I don't know. It was in the 90s when I was a kid, yeah. It, it, it could easily 80s, be redone and justified if they really find some hard, hard buying smoking gun. And they don't have just. Look at Bitcoin's associated. Getting that taint off of Bitcoin. Oh, yeah. And they don't have justification with, well, sorry, they have limited justification as it is. But why would anyone want to hand them this gift that they need to justify it, right? Like, and we need to start talking about this. Yeah, you let's know? get it all out there and open. That, that, that's the awesome thing. So none yeah. of this stuff can happen. So there could be no regime. To, let's, that's right. I mean, if they're involved with Qatar now, we start talking about it. It, 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 it we'll, we'll be like, okay, this is bad. This country's using it for bad stuff. It, it, they proved they could do it, but it's bad. And so all you senators and stuff in America, you should still be fans of Bitcoin. Sorry. Exactly. Um, this country, we don't like this country. You know, we're going to stop pedestaling this guy. Uh, and hopefully his regime will be, you know, the people will go, will be against him and Qatar will stop funding him or, or whatever. And I, I do want to, you know, again, reach out. You know, we've got some sketchy dudes down there. Max Kaiser's a sketchy dude, guys. He did, uh, he did work for Iran State TV. Everyone's like, he worked for Russia today. That's, That's much better. No, no, no. He did work for Russia Today, but he worked for Press TV also, which is Iran-funded TV. He has taken money from Iran, period, period, end of show. So if he's willing to do that, um, he's got connections in Iran. He's very close with the president of El Salvador. There's no doubt about that. Um, I mean – it, it, it could go on and on and on and on. Now, yeah, I'm not connecting Max Kaiser. With, Max Kaiser's tweeted he's not an enemy of Qatar. He seems to be he likes Qatar. I mean, that's his. And he, you can like Qatar and Iran. I have no problem. You know, no, I do have a problem with those countries. But I'm not. I'm not saying throw Max Kaiser in jail, ban Max Kaiser from the United yeah. States because he likes Iran. And Qatar. He wants to ban Ethereum from Argentina. 
It has nothing to do with Argentina. <laughs> Look what we've done to El Salvador. We have only Bitcoin. Only Bitcoin. No, no, he doesn't really talk like that. He's got an American accent like me, but I'm just dictatorial accent there because Max Kaiser is very totalitarian. I mean, it's pathetic. But yet Bitcoiners worship it. All these Bitcoiners worship it. But I'm just giving you a, you know, because so many people are afraid to say anything about Max Kaiser. I'm giving you like the worst case scenarios here. Was that a unique piece? I don't care. I'm bringing up the, I, I brought up the Iran thing many, many times. I'm the only one who brings up Iran thing. Every time I bring it up, people are like, no, 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 he worked for Russia today. I'm like, no, look, look it up. Look, he has said some very, and he said some very interesting things about Iran back in, uh, on Iranian TV um, about Israel back in uh, in, in twenty twelve. Lovely, lovely stuff, stuff you would expect from him now, um, but 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 worse, obviously. And, and he was laughing about, oh, laughing about it with, with Craig Roberts, what's that guy's name? That anti semite Craig, John Craig, Craig, some guy that they they used to like to have on. Uh, all these alternative uh, media shows uh, because he worked for Ronald Reagan in like 1982 for two seconds. So it was Paul Craig Roberts, Paul Craig Anyway, he, him and Max Kaiser were having a blast back in uh, 2012 and Max uh, on press TV. And, uh, you know, Pete, Max Kaiser uh, actually uh, smartly uh, knows that most people will forget about that. Most people don't know that Max Kaiser was like, just like most people forget about Max coin, you know, even though, uh, and, and other coins that Max has, has promoted over the years. Uh, most people forget about that stuff, and they just think, "What well, you know?" They they get very uh, they don't their memories don't get go back. Well, he was, but it's fine. I don't want to ban that. I'm just I want to talk openly about Max Kaiser. I want to talk openly about Qatar and uh, and Bukake, and let's let's and uh, where is Alejandro? Where That's I mean, right. ask Max Kaiser that on, on Twitter. That that you know, don't ask about Qatar. Ask him about where is his Alejandro? What did Alejandro do? Is he a traitor to the regime? So he should get his brains busted in. Is that a, a way a Bitcoin uh, Bitcoin government works? You, you're busting the brains of your op- of your opposition, or, or or do we let other opinions uh, come? You know, but this is also this is also the problem of, and, and I'm concerned to see this in Bitcoin. The susceptibility to narrative poisoning and collectivism. You know, I had people reach out to me saying, oh, you know, uh, he was, uh, Alejandro was arrested, but, you know, it's credible. How do you know? How do you know it's credible? I had a journalist who was a journalist for many years in Latin America do a deep dive into it, and she can't figure out what there, if there's any legitimacy to this. But because you're a gringo and you move there and you like it, you like the beach, all of a sudden, oh, I, I mean, that's the, I don't want to, I want to pretend it's not happening and sweep it under the rug. Oh, that's the opposite of trust but verify. And listen, all governments, I like this framing. This is how I look at it. I believe in the presumption of innocence for the individual at all costs all the time. Maybe all the things that we're, we're talking about, these connections, maybe they're not nefarious. That's fine. However... The presumption of innocence is limited to an individual citizen. On the other side of that trade is the government. And they have the presumption of guilt. If a government is not able to give us full transparency on anything right from the very beginning, they're guilty. That applies the same as it does to the Canadian government, as it does to the Salvadorian government. I don't care about the claims. This guy's got the presumption of innocence. You have the presumption of guilt, now prove it to me, and the fact that they're trying to hide it and brainwash Bitcoiners with narrative poisoning to ignore this important issue 
is really concerning. And I, I hope we, we come beyond that and start to talk about this stuff. Um, Decrypt Magazine, Coindesk, Cointelegraph, cover the Alejandro story. Come on, dudes. Let's, let's, yeah. let's, uh, let's, let's, get on, let's get on the ball here. He I did like so that. much for Bitcoin. It's because of him that we have Bitcoin in El Salvador. Not because of the politician. Because of him. We owe him a debt of bringing Bitcoin onto the world stage through a politician. The least we could do is start to ask questions about what's happened to him. And don't blindly trust governments. That was your point from before. Yeah. I like that. You know, presumption of innocence for, for the individual, but do not blindly trust governments, especially ones that are starting to kind of act shady about the, how they're storing the Bitcoin at, at, at the very least. All right. The, uh, this was a great, this is the greatest El Salvador Bitcoin segment I've ever had <laughs> in my life uh, because it's not just like blind worship of a dude. And um, do you have anything else to add before we move on to uh, uh, other topics? We, we got to cut this part out and not I mean, keep it in the full show, but to have a separate, just like a, we, we went on a 20 minute rant there. That was great. That was beautiful. I yeah, this. no, I'm good, man. I'm good. And, oh, by the way, just one thing. Let's, uh, El Salvador, El Salvador is very beautiful. I thought El Sa San Salvador is definitely cleaning up. Uh, the beaches at El Zante are very nice. I love Latin America. I, I, I really enjoyed it. But, uh, you know, people ask, would you, would you move to El Salvador? No way, not with this going on. I'd rather take my risk with the paramilitaries in Colombia than this. Now, that, that, that is another thing. For you guys that have moved down there, that, that is good for you. And if you're enjoying your life down there, that is good for you. Yeah. I also have recommended that people do not move down there because it can, it can get cooed in a second. And this Alejandro thing has left a very bad taste. And, and, one, and one more thing. Remember, it's a violation of the Constitution. Might be bullshit, but it's their Constitution. It's in violation of the Constitution that he's running for re-election. Okay. Well, what happens? It, there's no question he's going to get re-elected. We get it. What happens the next time? Is he going to go for a third term? And I don't – and I, I, I just want to put this little asterisk on it. I don't understand it. Like from a political framing, how pol pol politicians live in a different world. The, the one thing they all want is to be at the top of their game and to have a term limit. That is the best scenario for a politician because that means you get to step out of the firing squad and you become the kingmaker behind the scenes. You then choose the next person who's going to lead the country and the entire cabinet. And the world is your oyster. Business deals galore. But I don't understand why he's so desperate to run again. Like for, as a, for political people, it doesn't make sense. He's giving up the golden, the golden parachute in politics to have all plausible deniability to say, I was at 90%. I'm now gonna I'm gonna help the next government rebuild the country, and he would make hundreds of millions of dollars doing that. But he's not doing it. Oh yeah, he would just say, "I love the people so yeah. much." I'm a, I'm a young man. <laughs> yeah. and I love the Continue to buy Bitcoin on the toilet. And I, I, all right. So again, it, it would be great if some other countries started to step up and become more Bitcoin uh, oriented. And I see the potential in Argentina. So if that and Argentina is a much wealthier country and much larger potential. Again, I'm when I, I'm not joking when I say Argentina could become a more powerful country than Russia 
or Canada, okay, in many aspects, mm-hmm. right? Especially if Russia just all of a sudden we find out their nukes don't work anymore. <laughs> They're gone in two seconds. Hopefully, God willing, uh, they, their nukes don't work anymore. But you do need to maintain your nukes to make them work. And it's not like they maintain anything in Russia. Yeah. Uh, as, as for Canada, it's a very, very wealthy uh, country. It's cold, though. And if and probably Argentina has uh, some equal uh, natural resources and more people would actually move there if it was freer and had the promise of stay.